Can we give a round of applause to DJ Rockaway and DJ Raj Smooth? I just want to again thank everyone for coming out this afternoon to be part of the Color Change and be on Studio B engagement, community engagement that we're having, this pop-up studio event that we're having. Um, if you haven't done so, get your snow cones, get your free merch in the back. Um, please take in all the artwork around you. Um, right now, I have the privilege of introducing to the stage the president of Color Change, my friend and colleague, Rashad Robinson. Please give him a round of applause. Thank you, Rashid. We have a, it's Rashid and Rashad, um, and so sometimes that gets confusing. But thank you all, and come on in, and if, if you are coming in, come up close. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, thank you to our sponsor, um, Open Society Foundation, for helping us into this room. Thank you to B. Mike and to the, this amazing studio and his team. And thank you to the Color of Change team for all the hard work in bringing us here. So why is this important? Why does a next generation civil rights organization believe hosting and putting resources behind conversations around the intersection between art, culture, and politics is important? And we believe it's important for a number of reasons. One is because we believe that there are not just written rules that impact our lives as black people, as people of color, but there are unwritten rules. They're the unwritten rules of culture that dictate how we're treated when we walk into a, a bank or into a school or into a courthouse or into a hospital. And they're just unwritten rules in terms that dictates how policies move in this country. For the last 20 years in this country, violent crime has steadily went down in every single study all across the country. But if you ask Americans in those same polls, do they think violent crime has went up? They will say yes. And so while violent crime has went down, people think it's gone up. And that means that it incentivizes people thinking that the answer to poverty, the answer to challenges is more police in our communities and less investment in education. People believe that the um, way to sort of move us forward is to have harsher sentences for um, implications that could be solved in other ways through restorative justice. And we will not solve those problems through op-eds. We will not solve those problems through nonprofit executive directing our way out of those problems. As the great Harry Belafonte said, the artists are the gatekeepers of the truth. And in so many ways, our movements have been fueled day in and day out by those that could think not just about what we could see in front of us, but what the long game, 20, 40, 50, and even beyond that looks like. And conversations about how do we keep, the, keep art and culture connected to how we change society is how we do the work to make justice real. Color of Change was founded 14 years ago right around this time in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. We were founded because it was a crisis that was caused by bad decision makers. And it turned into a life-altering disaster by those same bad decision makers. And while there were so many issues that animated what happened here and happens all around this country, at the heart of it, no one was nervous about disappointing black people. Government, corporations, media. 
And so our work at Color of Change every single day is channeling the presence that black people and black communities have in the world into the power to actually make real change. To take analysis that we have about these issues and channel analysis into everyday action. So if you have not joined Color of Change, if you are not a member of Color of Change, I'm gonna ask you to do something really quick before I bring us um, our, our panel out here. I'm gonna ask you to take out your phones. I'm gonna ask you to take out your phones and I'm gonna ask you to text the word color to 225568. That's the word color to 225568. The way the world looks five, 10, 15 years from now is up to us. It is up to the work we put in, not just as individuals, but collectively to build the type of power that changes both the written and unwritten rules and to connect the work to change policy and culture for black people. Because at Color of Change, we recognize one thing, that the history of this country has been clear, is that when black people win, we win for everyone. Our victories time and time again have been victories that have made this country better and more whole. It has been our art, our culture, and our politics that have supercharged this democracy, and it will be us that will continue to remake it and remake it whole. So please join us in our efforts to make justice real for all of us. And now it is my pleasure and my honor to introduce my friend, Jamila Lemieux. She's a cultural critic, a writer, and just a total brilliant feminist activist. Um, and um, she's gonna join us on the stage and, and introduce our panel for this next conversation. Jamila. Thank you. All right, good afternoon. Thank you to those of us who've joined since the first session, and a special thank you to those of you, sorry, those of you who've been rocking with us all day. Really excited um, for what I think is going to be a powerful dialogue about the intersection of art and culture and politics. Just to add to what Rashad said, I want to paraphrase the great Pearl Cleage. The job of the writer is to make revolution irresistible. That's the job of our artists, too, to show us images of ourselves as we dream them to be and images of ourselves as we know ourselves to be, which are different than the images that are so often portrayed of us when the decision makers don't have hands like our own. So with that, to lead us in this uh, important dialogue, there's a sister coming to the stage who I could fan with this pretty pink and green fan that I have in my hand. Her name is Savitra M. Wilson. She is the founder and CEO of the New Orleans-based startup Resilia, formerly Exempt Me Now, that she founded in 2015 to revolutionize how nonprofits are created and maintained and how enterprises that deploy billions annually scale impact. She has raised over $3 million for her startup to date, making her the first black woman in New Orleans to raise over a million dollars in venture capital, and is only, I'm sorry, is currently the only black founder leading a venture-backed tech startup in the state of Louisiana. You have to give her a little something for that. 
She's also the founder of Solid Ground Innovations, LLC, SGI, a strategic communications and management firm with offices in Baton Rouge and New Orleans that she founded in 2009. And in 2019, she wrote her first business book, Solid Ground, How I Built a Seven-Figure Company at 22 with Zero Capital. Please give it up for Savitra M. Wilson. So I want to first say thank you to our sponsor, um, Open Society Foundations, an organization that wants to build vibrant and inclusive societies whose governments are accountable and open to participation of all people. And considering the climate that we're in today, I think that that is not only a tremendous effort and lift, but one that they can't do alone. And so all of you here for a reason, and I hope that you all gain something from this conversation, but also continue the conversations once we leave here. So I definitely have a brilliant, talented uh, group of individuals who will be joining us today. Um, but first, I want to tell you why we are here. The Tell Black Stories podcast was created in extension of Color of Change Hollywood, which is an initiative changing the rules in Hollywood, ensuring accurate, diverse, and empathetic and human portrayals of black people on television and throughout the media landscape. So today, I'm excited to be a part of this panel here at Studio B from the talented V Mike, who is a great friend of mine. And today, we'll dive into not only the intersection of art, culture, and politics, but learn where these amazing individuals stand on many issues. So please welcome to the stage Luke James, Lettucey, B Mike, and Kendrick. So I was actually scrolling on Instagram yesterday, and I thought it was such a coincidence that I came across this quote by Felicia Rashad, where she said, before a child talks, they sing. Before they write, they draw. As soon as they stand, they dance. Art is fundamental to human expression. And I thought that was just perfect. Uh, just to set the tone of this panel conversation. And so I just want to jump right in with some questions for you all. And we don't have to go in any particular order. So if you're feeling it, just jump in. And so the, que the first question is, as most of us are here today, we, we think about art, we think about pop culture, we think about um, politics, and we're in election cycle, we're here at Essence, and we have a lot of political candidates here on the Democratic side, but we already know kind of who's in office and what we have at stake here. Um, and so I want to start with the most obvious and probably basic question, and that is, can art and culture help drive social change, and if so, how? Well, I, I, yes, I believe you can. I think um, everyone listens to music. Like you listen, you know, you watch movies, you, you podcasts, anything, all types of entertainment or whatnot. Um, it, it fuels you in your, your day or whatnot. So I think, yes, I think when you're constantly, if you're, if you're tapped into an artist that speaks about what's going on in the world, I think it's, you, you, you have a, a, a way harder time of not thinking about what's going on in the world, you know? So yes. Yes, what about you, Leslie? I think it's the job of the artists mm -hmm. to create things that express 
words, without words, or sound, or whatever, or imagery mm -hmm. that uh, people can't speak out loud. Sometimes we say the things we others wish they could say. That's why Marvin Gaye exists, Nina Simone, uh, Jacob Lawrence, you know, all these wonderful, Harry Belafonte, I can go on and on. <laughs> that art definitely and creates change with social change, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100% as well. I think that art, it erases the lines that we kind of draw around ourselves. It, it pierces those bubbles. Because before you fully, like you're saying, Luke, before you fully, to listen to a person's art or to see their work or, or to experience their art, you have to, it creates empathy. Yeah. You have to see yourself reflected in some way. And I think for so long, we've, we've seen other stories and we've had mad empathy over other stories. And I think now we're seeing the value and importance of us interjecting our narratives and saying, okay, this is hopefully at its best are gonna allow people to see and have em empathy with our experiences as well. So I think, like you say, let us see, that's the job. We have to do that. I think that my, my favorite quote is, or one of my favorite quotes is, there is no revolution without art. Sin arte no hay revolucion. It's like, a, it's a, like there's literally, you can't, the most effective, form of communication is art. You can't have the, the images that we see, the, the things that we remember are told through the images and the stories, right? Storytelling is art. Um, imagery is art. The music is art. And there's no way to push culture and the conversation without art. And that's the most effective form of communication is art. Everybody learns in different ways. So you have to either, if you're writing, you're drawing, you know, if you're listening, th those are auditory, those are sounds. That, it depends on the way that people, the most effective way to push those things. We learn things through songs, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. You know, there, there is no way to influence the narrative that we are, the, the problematic narratives that we're taught that are false um, or, or to push that sort of change without art. There is no revolution without Absolutely. art. Exactly. So something that I said in my book was they tell us that it's not all about the money and then they run off with all the money. And so my next question is about <laughs> economics. And it's, as an entrepreneur, one of the things or power that I see in arts and culture is that it can be an economic driver. Places like Studio B and other cultures, spaces in general, they exist and they can not only preserve the culture, but also create a significant economic impact on the community, but also those who are the bearers of culture. So are you using, how are you using your specific platform to not only create change or build power, but how are you also directing that around how we build economic power as well? It's a, it's a loaded question, it's a lot. <laughs> I can say for me, I've written books and in, in my latest book that I'm redoing called The Walk, mm -hmm. revised is what it's gonna be called. And in it, I lay out the importance of finance and why we should always have the conversation. Yes. Uh, it's like we're scared to talk about money, our culture, and um, it's really important because you think, oh, what's a savings? How important is that? It's really important. We don't talk about health as well. So I point it all out by becoming an author, by writing out how I learned from my mistakes and being honest about those things. And also, from listening to others, the elders, a lot about money. Um, 
and I, I show up when someone needs me in my culture. If I can't be there, I donate time. I donate money from my shows to events. I show up. If you needed me, color change, say, we need you in New York, blah, 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 I'd be there. Same thing for the marches. I've been there. Uh, that's what Mahalia did. That's what my ancestors did. So I have to do the same thing. So that's how I show up. I love that. I love you that. also have a podcast, right? Yes, I do. I'm working on it. All right. <laughs> and I have a podcast I'm working on. So that's going to help as well. Um, I, uh, so I worked with this, this, uh, these two organizers, Tia Osho and Mike De La Rocha, to start an organization actually called Build Power um, that teaches, uh, led by organizers, that teaches um, people with influence, people with platforms, uh, how to use that for uh, social good to change, to, to push radical narratives, to make sure that we're countering all that radical hate that we see out there and creating yes, safe spaces yes. for radical love and imagination yes. to thrive. Um, and the, the two, they're private education and then there's community building um, and connecting with organizations that are doing the work and making sure that we are not going and tweeting shit out that you know, messes up the work of everyday organizers, that we're not on carpets making, you know, problematic uh, statements and saying that we support causes that we're damaging, um, and actually getting, getting rooted in the work of grassroots, uh, amazing radical change. Um, and then using my platform, because I'm learning from the same program, using my platform to do the same, to make sure that we, the biggest aspect to me is community building and making sure that we're taking care of each other and we're pushing the narrative that we are our brothers and sisters keeper and that you're not okay. And that includes economics, right? To make sure that we keep in the community, we're not just you know put, get, throwing our money out. We're making sure that we support each other's art, we support each other's businesses, um, but building community around that and creating safe spaces in the, in that area, and that could go on forever and ever. But, Absolutely, yeah. that makes me yeah. think about Chase, Chance the Rapper, and he yeah. he was like, oh wait, hold up. You know, when Trump came out and he tweeted him, he was like, oh, no, that's not what I mean. Right. right? And yeah. so it is important to even, if you make a mistake, say, okay, no, this is actually what I meant by what I just said and what I just did. Yeah. Be yeah. Mike. No, I, I think we're seeing examples of, of just that. I think the responsibility is shared across. I think the example that Color Change is showing by being here, you know, instead of being in a hotel or being in any of the other mini spaces they could have been to do an event like this. The example that you all came, I text y'all, say, yo, there's a panel, you know, and it was like- And we showed up. Right, exactly. It wasn't even like, yo, what's the deal? What's the details? It was like, they, they were here. So I think we all exhibit that responsibility in different ways, but I think it's a shared responsibility. I think sustainability is important. I think we see, we've seen so many examples of, 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 of amazing individuals that expired because they gave it all, you know what I mean? So I think there has to be this circle. I remember an elder told me, they said, uh, Malcolm X died with like $250 to his name. And when I heard that, I was like, that is like, that informed a lot of my decisions. I was like, okay, we can't just, we have to be smart about how we sustain the work, how we sustain the practice. A lot of elders were upset with me over the previous projects I did because they were all free. They were outdoors, they were free, and they told me something. They said, if you continue to make free work, people are going to continually expect you to give free work. And so when we opened this space, one of the conversations was like, yo, how, we need to sustain this. We're going to charge admission. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. And that was a tough decision for me as an artist because I was like, man, do, do, how do I do that? Like, I don't want to turn people away. 
But I think at some point we have to think about how more impactful we can be when we have the resources necessary to do what we need to do. And, and I think it's important. And I want to, there's two, there's two things that for me personally I've been trying to push is to make sure that we understand the connection to the criminal justice system and how it's keeping uh, wealth out of our communities, how it's keeping us from opportunities, how criminalizing marijuana and then having corporations decriminalizing but have white corporations come in and profit um, and making sure that we're challenging our leaders to make sure that doesn't happen, that we have equity in that space that we're producing, that we are allowed to, they, they, they break the barriers down that keep us from having businesses in that space. Um, and that, you know, our, uh, you know, felonies and all of those things are expunged and, you know, um, that is, that's a big one. And then the other thing is opportunity zones, is how people are using opportunity zones to gentrify these areas. And I'm like, the answer is not just getting a bunch of rich black people to invest in opportunity zones and then having it be gentrified. It's to make sure that those people that are coming to the communities and taking advantage of those opportunity zones have equity in mind and are centering the leaders that are already doing work in that community in that you know, making sure that they're centering those, yeah. those workers, not just listening to them and saying, okay, you're on my side, and being a poster boy for the Trump administration for some black people participating in some bullshit, right? But actually centering the community and making sure you're centering the leaders that are building equity in that community and their work. Word. Word. So to follow up on that, do you think that some artists can sometimes be afraid to address this type of work? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, it's... it's they like to keep us in our box. Too. Yeah. Well, you know, because it's... Brand, right? It's, it's, it's like you know, you hear all the stories, even the Marvin Gaye story of him wanting to do what's going on, putting out an album that was talking about... James you know, Brown. Everything, right? You know, and you have, you have people that look like you saying, no, don't do that. You know, that's not, don't do that. I don't know, don't get into politics, don't, you know, that's not, it's, but you know, music, art, is, is, comes from the soul. It has to be honest, it has to be real, and what you feel, what you take in, as, a art, as artists, we're, we're empaths. We can't help but to feel what we feel, and to not project that and give that to the world, or, or our view, um, I, I believe is a disservice to our gifts that we've been blessed with, and to everybody. Long as it's authentic to me too, and I agree with Luke, it's like, I'm a silent mover. I move in silence, and all of a sudden I pop up. People are like, I didn't know you believed, that's none of your business though. <laughs> when I show up, I show up and I say my piece by being there. I don't tweet it, I don't Instagram it, I don't go like this, me, 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 I just show up. And you know, once I show up, people are like, whoa, we didn't, can you tell, you know? And I donate privately. Prince did it. He donated to so many causes that we didn't know about. Some people, artists like to move silently. And I'm one of those people, but when you see me, you're like, Lynn, you didn't tell us. And I think it's- I don't, You don't have to do it that way either. And, cause I also feel like some advocates and activists are very, they become models for things and using it for magazines, and I'm, I don't know. I don't know who's real or not, so I'm checking y'all out. <laughs> you know? Right. As we should. But you know, it's, 
it's the educational part of it, right? Um, it's, it's, there's so, it's so many different ways you can do it. Um, I, I, I was looking for a way to be a part of something because of my frustration, you know? But I'm still trying to uh, figure out my way in this industry, in this business, right? And there's like a, it's chess, not checkers, right? So it's like, and it's so easy as a black man, it's easy to be dismissed for something that you believe in. And so just me trying to find out how do I say what I'm feeling and speak on what I believe in in a right way, and, and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to Kendrick for, for reaching out to me and, and helping me figure out my voice and how I can be on the front line and, and use my body and my, my person, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. To yeah, plug. I know that was like, what? Build power, like, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, plug for Build Power. Build, build power, power is, is, you know, BLDPWR on Instagram. Yep. And BLDPWR.com, if anybody wants to go to power. But, um, but the thing is, um, what we teach, you know, it, which is, is not really me, it's organizers that are, have been okay, doing this. Looking at you, you're teaching. Right, right, right. Um, but, but, but what's really dope about it is we emphasize everybody has their own space in the movement and how they want to move. Yeah. Because a lot of pe people think that when you're telling people to protest, like, I want you to get out there and support this cause, I want you to protest, that it looks like being in the streets. But that is the, like, 1% of what protesting is. That's the 1% of what change is. That's the big, you know, public display. That's not, you know, as, as uh, Brittany was saying yesterday, like, you know, Ferguson was, like, the longest sustained protest it was like 400 days of some, and you saw some stuff in the street. That was the culmination of like years of trying to get them to change policies and stop killing us. And like, and then finally saying, you know what, if y'all not gonna listen, we're gonna make this really inconvenient for you. And then you're gonna have to listen. Right. So there, there is so many things. There's moving silently, there's donating, there's so many things, but it's also, you know, painting murals. It's opening spaces like this. It's, they're, they're, all of us play a part, and if you don't agree with it, you can't just cop out of the entire movement because you're like, that tactic doesn't agree with, my, or is not convenient for me, or I don't feel authentic in that. Find what's authentic to you, because that's just a cop out. You know, that's like, you know, I, well, I don't feel like doing it this way, so I'm just not going to participate. That's you saying that I'm not investigating enough and I'm not invested enough in changing my community that I'm going to find my place in this movement and how I like to operate. Because at the end of the day, the only person you have to answer to is God. That's my belief. You know, it doesn't have to be yours, but the only person you have to answer to is God. And when you can when you can die and say that I did what I thought that I was supposed to do in order to invest in my community and be my brothers and sister keeper to uplift other people and make sure that they're okay, then who else, who else can argue with you about that, right? You dead. <laughs> yeah. And you have to understand the time is now. It's now. It's right now. It's not, oh, you know, I'm just waiting till I feel it. Till I, it's now. And right, right, right now. The community is serving you as an artist being there. You have to give back to your community. That's what it's all about. And the, and the longer you wait, the more people die. The more, longer you wait, Say that again. the more people are dying. I think one, one privilege that we don't ever realize is 
when we have the privilege to speak out and we don't, that is a privilege. We have a privilege to, to use our voice when we don't use that. And we're saying that we have, we're just gonna, white people do this a lot and it gets on my nerve. I just wanna wait until I have it right. I wanna wait until I'm educated on it. I don't wanna speak out yet. You make mistakes publicly, then learn from them and teach your other brethren not to do that shit, right? Say, look to learn from your mistakes. Because while you're waiting, the privilege that you have to wait, people are dying. That's real. You want to add anything, B-Mike? Oh, no, no. I'll no. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> he was doing the church thing. Amen. amen. So let us see. I know you have worked with Michelle Obama's mentoring program. Yeah. Done a lot of work in the White House and so on and so forth. Um, and I was on a panel yesterday, and we were talking about the census 2020 and what's coming and what that means to us as black, brown people. And so I wanna ask you all, what are the issues that you feel are most pressing right now? What should we be talking about? And what do you care most about? Gosh, there's so much stuff. Uh, where do you start? Like, I, I'll just say what I've been doing is, uh, I care about what happened with, with our future so the kids are where I'm at. I would do a lot of work advocating for arts programs so that they can express. Places where they can rest, because home might be a war zone, I don't know. But like your art programs and things like that, I do a lot of um, donating for, you know, uh, turnaround arts program and advocating and lobbying. I'm up there with the senators, come on sir. We need some money for this arts program, you know, and um, making sure that artists keep their rights with uh, songwriting. That's another thing. But yeah. those things are legacy things, long-term things that I'm, I'm working on. So that's what's passionate for me. Like NOCA, having NOCA and things like that. Keeping places where, where the kids have a space to express and not in the street. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're in the prison capital of the country, default the world, and I think, yeah, this city, yeah. So it's, 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 it's very hard to live in this space, in this city, and not be empathetic towards the criminal justice system as a whole. Um, I think, I mean, we all, at least at its best, we know a lot of stories, because we're connected to it in a lot of ways. Um, and so for me right now, that's, that's what we've been doing a lot of work around. We have a summer program actually in this space. And um, the motivation and the goal for this summer session is to have these young people, these amazing, talented young teenagers, and they're creating a series of videos. They're going to be seven one-minute videos, and each video is designated to educate other teens on their rights around policing. And the goal is to hope that we can curb some of the unnecessary incarceration that occurs from just not knowing what you can and can't do. And so, for example, one video might be a police acts to search you. What do you do? What can you do? What is your response? And these kids are going to create, I don't want to say kids, I want to just, some of them are in here. Y'all see them with the peach, the, the peach shirts on. But the, the, the young students, the young teens, we're giving them full agency on terms of how they articulate that, whether they use music, whether they use comedy, whether they use documentary. And, and four days a week, we're in here working with them. And so th that's a small part of, of, of the work we're trying to do through Studio B. But there's so much, like Let It See is saying, it's, it's unfortunate, but there's so much. 
I've been really working really hard to to push a change, which is uh, again conversation led by you know activists that I really respect, organizers that I really respect. But Patrice Cullors, uh, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, had a really uh, 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 profound effect in, in reframing this for me. Um, but the the idea of public safety and the how what we think of public safety as we think about it as law enforcement, right? We're taught that anyway. I'm not going to say in our communities we think about it as law enforcement necessarily, but we're taught that public safety is the answer. When there's a school shooting, when or whatever, we have to pub, you have to increase pub, the public safety budget, and that budget ends up inevitably going to prison, uh, you know, policing, uh, police in our schools. Right, and so, and my two passions my, that I chose to focus on are mental health and criminal justice. Um, well, criminal legal system reform, whatever you want to call it, um, criminal injustice. But anyway, so I'm, you know, I, I'm really pushing to change the narrative on public safety because if public safety equaled cops, then we would all go to the hood to be safe because you have no shortage of cops there, right? We would be like, you know what? It feels real weird here in Beverly Hills. I'm about to go on down to South Central and make sure that I feel safe, right? And that's not the case, especially for us. Um, We actually feel less safe in spaces a lot of the time with police officers, right? And so to to change that narrative, I really want to push what public safety really is. Public safety is heavy investments in education, jobs, healthcare, and housing. Making sure everybody has a house. Making sure everybody has, a, and we're not criminalizing, on top of that, we're not criminalizing homelessness, right? Um, everybody has uh, uh, access to healthcare, and that includes, and this is what reparations look like to me as well, right? Not, not just a check, I want a check. Listen, I'm not saying I don't want a check, I want a check. I, and we deserve a check. I think we all deserve a check. I'll take a check. But I think what it looks like in policy is heavy investments. We, it shouldn't be this, we shouldn't get the same invest, investments that they get in Beverly Hills in the hood. We need more investments in mental health uh, because of the generational trauma that has been pushed into our communities by the government, right? So they need to make those rep- repairs. Reparations, right? So heavy investments in healthcare, heavy investments in housing, heavy investments in uh, jobs, economic growth, equity, um, and then heavy investments in um, what's the fourth one? Jobs, healthcare, education, and housing. Heavy investments in housing, heavy investments in jobs, heavy investments in healthcare, heavy, heavy, heavy investments in education, making sure there's uh, art, arts programs in our schools, extracurricular activities, making sure that we're prioritizing uh, rehabilitation and health, mental health, and, um, and building up kids instead of punishment and policing in our schools, right? So that, that is my biggest thing, is making sure that we prioritize, and that mental health is so huge for me. Because, and, and white kids need that shit too, because, the, you know, and white, white people, because they shooting up the shit, and you know, that's, listen. Oh, another conversation. So it's, it's, it affects all of our communities. Anything you wanna add, Luke? I mean, I, I, everyone is, it's yeah. just so many issues, you know, mental health, for sure. It's like, I mean, that's just, I think that's at the right there. It's like, you, you got to know what's on somebody's mind. You know, it, so much is happening. So many things we're seeing. Everyone has PTSD. Everyone. 
like we we need a space for free where people can go, especially in our community, for sure. So since we're on the topic of mental health, how are you all grounding yourselves, ensuring that you are mentally prepared for all of this work? You know, and then also, how does that look today versus five years ago, ten years ago? What have you learned through this journey? <laughs> Mental health is heavy. It's heavy. I listen to Let It See <laughs> and Luke Jane. <laughs> yes. No. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I can't say what I do. <laughs> But what I do, <laughs> you gotta share the secret sauce. We need to know. You can, you can. Go ahead and say it. You know, we need to know. Listen. <laughs> but what I, I, I do give myself breaks. I use the word no. I say no. Even when my heart says yes, I say no. Because I am a people pleaser to the heart. So that is like, I don't know, black women, we can do amazing things. We can do so many things, but we never say no. We try to do everything, so I, I say no. And the older I get, it's, it's helpful and healthy for me. <laughs> the other thing I do is, um, I, when I, I feel better when I give back. I don't know what yeah. that is. Like, yeah. it just makes me feel better. Yeah. I, I don't have to just sing. I've, I'm learning that I have a voice besides singing. So when I give back teaching or giving or of my time, it feels good. So I'm very particular about my time and where to give it. So that's been really good, giving back, it feels yeah. good. But yeah, I, I think it's gotten better. We're at least speaking out loud about mental illness. We're at least saying, I'm bipolar, help. Back in the day, we didn't say anything. We just kept on moving. Well, back so, in the day, then, well, for us, well, you know, it was like, he just bad. He just, yeah. he just he bad. Just bad. He, got he got a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, I, I, creating. Um, I, I'm still, I'm still, you know, still figuring it all out, you know. Um, but from what I notice um, that calms me and, and helps me think clear and uh, address issues from the past, present, um, create, you know, just create and give it out. Mine is therapy, uh, therapy, community, and getting involved. So, you know, everybody can't afford good therapy. Um, everybody doesn't have access to it, so that's a privilege that I have. I started therapy a while ago. I found, first I found an affordable therapist that was willing to get, that's, this was years ago, where I was like, I ain't got the money, and I'm messed up. Help me out. He was like, all right. There were four that said no. They was like, oh, you can't afford $200 an hour? I was like, hell nah. Can you? Now, you know, I have a privilege to afford better therapy, but um, I looked for therapy. I go to therapy every week. Because um, getting involved in the movement and, and fighting for others in this environment is heavy. I'm not gonna lie. But it's also essential for mental health, to make, making sure that you feel like you're actually participating in change instead of reacting to it 
and a product of oppression and that you can't do nothing about it. Getting involved in practical ways is, I think, essential to your mental health, but not overdoing it. The movement will move on without you. Don't let your ego think that you about to get on up in here and change things and that you can't, you know, that no matter what, if I don't, if I ain't involved, nobody, people been doing this work for years. They gonna continue to work it, you know, but have your part in it. And then the, the most important one, I believe, is community and building, making sure that you're intentionable, uh, intentionable, and make sure you're intentionable about the, the people around you that you're bringing in. Uh, you know, you get flued out. Um, intentionable. And uh, period. No, uh, but like, but make sure that you are intentional about who you, who you keep in your circle, who you have around you, who you're building up. Key. Not just who's building you up, but who you're building up. Hey, hey. Who you're, you know, investing in and making sure that those people are like-minded in liberation um, and, and healing because we have to prioritize healing the community and healing ourselves and all the liberation work we do and all the things that we do daily. Amen. You don't want to add anything, Mike? Oh, no, no, I, I can say it. Uh, I'm just for your mental health. I'm in brother. church right now. Um, I think it was uh, Dr. Cornel West that says anyone who has the audacity to be an artist has to be on intimate terms with despair. And so we exist in a space where we're constantly absorbing things in a way where we where it was extremely empathetic. But he also said that uh, you you have to be a prisoner of hope. And so for me, what that looks like is just being able to surround myself with creative people, being able to surround myself with people who don't just see the despair, but see the potential and the hope. Um, but like Lettucey said, it's also about saying no. It's also about, I think we live in an age where uh, we confuse creativity with productivity. And we think we have to constantly, constantly uh, uh, feed the audience. And I think it's important for any of us, regardless of the creative type we are, regardless of the brand that you have, to know that it's okay to just disappear to just say, okay, I need a second. Just to be just, still. To just be still, right. And, and I think we, we're looking at the social media and the, and the Instagram and it's constantly posting, constantly updating, and you're like, well, I gotta jump in too. I gotta constantly jump. And so for me, I've been forcing myself to learn how to be still, how to just say, okay, I'ma just disappear. And like you said, the movement's gonna go on. Like, things, will, you can jump back in, but sometimes you gotta know to listen to yourself enough to say, okay, I need to chill. And, and that's what I've been doing. And, and I want to add to that, to b take care of basic necessities, make sure you shitting and drinking, drinking water, eating, yeah. He's right though. using yeah. the restroom, good health. getting some sleep. Those are essentials to good mental health. You ain't, I'm, I'm up here pissed at everybody, cussing out white people, and I haven't eaten today. Why do you, I think I have such a short temper? I haven't eaten. I need to eat, and I'll start cussing hours. people out. You know, it's like, it's, it's a really simple solution, making sure you took a pee, that you went to the restroom, that you ate, that you got some sleep. Man. The real talk, sleep is real. They got, I, don't, I don't know who runs this page, but there's a page called The Nap Ministry. And I follow them on Instagram, and they be posting all these, like, inspirational quotes about resting. And sometimes I just need that. I'm like, you're right, I need to take a nap. Let me just chill. <laughs> That should be on the shirt, rest, it's period. And even that's important. I mean, you know, Instagram is huge to your mental stability. Definitely. Because it, it's something about it. So you, as a person who controls this thing, I think it's important that you 
if you're going to use it, you should follow things that feed you and, and help educate you and pushing you forward to a positive place. Like, let go of the, the things that, that make you wish, like, in a sense, make you think, like, think about your surroundings in a sense of you can't have that. I think it's important to have, you know, different... That's real. I, I think if, if we think about it, there was a generation prior to us where smoking cigarettes was, like, constant on the plane, everywhere. Like, everybody did it. And then years later, people look back, that was like, that wasn't smart. We shouldn't have been doing that. <laughs> I feel like years from now, they're going to look back at this generation and say, they were on their phone. How long? How, how often? Eight hours. How many hours in one day? And so I think we're, we're living in that space now where, where we're realizing how Instagram, social media is creating this whole new era of mental health illnesses because we're comparing ourselves constantly. We're constantly trying to upkeep, I mean, keep up with things. And so I think our children's children are going to look back at us and be like, they was wilding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Hey, and just get outside. Go outside, man. Let that sun hit that melanin. You feel me? People of color need the sun. <sighs> Y'all playing. Stop playing. Get outside, man. It's Go hot, for a walk. Bro. You need to be out yes, there. Yeah, go for a walk. Get some friends. Go for a walk. Talk. <laughs> Let it out. You know, you get outside. Get active. And that'll help. Absolutely. So we're here at Essence. Is there anyone that has had a tremendous impact on your life, who've invested in you, that you want to lift up? My mama. Yes. <laughs> Amen. She never stopped believing through all my hardships, through being kicked out of school, to not knowing how to express myself, to so many things that, you know, growing up as a young man in New Orleans, you know, you're faced with. Um, my mother never stopped projecting love and, 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 and surrounding me with love. And, and yeah, my mom. Damn. Mamas, to all the mamas out there, don't ever Amen. stop loving your Amen. kid. They bad, it's okay. Love them. I have to say my mom, uh, she's just graduated from college at 65 years old. Bless her. Magnum cum laude. Hello. Oh, Hello. That's powerful. <laughs> Capricorn, so she don't play. So I, I, she's one of my biggest influence, but as far as show business mom is, Iyanla Venzan. She has been a huge influence on me uh, privately. She's had, we've had the financial talk, the spiritual talk, the people talk, the black woman talk, and uh, she's a great businesswoman. And uh, just her, her, her sense of, uh, her and my mom are like best friends too, which is, I never introduced them. They just happened to become friends through other friends. And uh, that was amazing to see them come together in a, a natural, godly way. That I didn't go, Mom, this is Iyana. It's just like, girl, I know Iyana. But we call her Iya. And, but she um, reminds me of my power. I remember the first time I met her, and I said, I'm scared to basically be my full self in front of other people. Like, you know when you know you're blessed with a gift and you want to fully let it out? And other people would be intimidated by that gift? Well, she said, well, you have daddy issues. <laughs> That's how she described it. And she explained, no one taught you your power. So you need to learn and remember your power. Shine wherever you are. Whoever's intimidated, that has nothing to do with you. So now I walk around, girl, that's your stuff. Yeah, that don't have nothing to do with me. 
I, I got to keep on keeping. So it's a beautiful thing to have mentors like that that remind you of your power and not to forget that. And she inspired me to become an author. She said, you have, you have things to say. It's time for you to say it. And she shows up every time I need her. It's hard to find people that will come out of their busy schedule and themselves to come out for you. So I love her for that. She's always been consistent. I've met everybody, but that lady, what you need, baby? I'm right here. So yeah, she's one of, those are the two women that have been my pillars. Yeah, I, I would say the matriarchs in my family, um, all the black women in, in my life, uh, my mother, my grandmother, friends and, and family, I, I think have always had this way of leading me, you know, and, and I, I still depend on that to this day. And I, I think if anyone, especially during this time, I definitely want to uplift all the amazing black women who, who have this way of just being present, being whole and just teaching us what it means to be human, you know, and I appreciate that. Um, well, I want to preface this with my mom was white. So in the spirit of essence, one, I'm not going to go without telling y'all, my mama was real. And my mama raised me right. And my mama uh, is the greatest ally I have in this movement. Um, and she is my heart. And the only one that was consistent through my childhood, the only person I can point to, um, man or woman or other. And she is, um, she was instrumental in that. But when I left at 18 and was like, let me head to LA and do this work thing, um, the first person who took me in was who I now call Mama. She's 87. I got thrown out of one place. White woman called the cops on me, um, said that I threw her dog against the wall. It was a lot. She had some mental health issues. I have a little bit of empathy for her. Um, a little bit, but, um, but the cops literally told me either, he, this is what the cop told me, either you move out tonight and get your money back, or I think I'll be here next week with the murder case. Wow. He was like, cause I would not put up with this shit. <laughs> I thought he was talking about murdering me at first and I was like, wait a minute, but I moved out in one week, Mama, who I met at church, was 87 at the time. She was like, I got a room in my house. My husband died last year. Um, and we became roommates. And we had a very uh, symb symbiotic, synergistic relationship. You know, I did some things, she did some things, and we literally were like roommates. It wasn't like grandma, you know, kind of thing, like telling me what to do and all. We literally had responsibilities that we were completely unspoken, didn't even ever leave a dish in the sink because neither one of us liked seeing dishes in the sink. You know, <laughs> if she left one, we were like, I was like, I'm gonna wash it. If I left one, she was like, I'm gonna wash it. You know, and she taught me a lot about love and, and you know, black woman, lived in Ladera Heights, um, which is, you know, a black area. I hadn't ever seen a, a expansive black area of, of wealth um, like that. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and I had very low rent, both of us did, because she had been living there for 20 years. Um, I ain't gonna tell you how much, because it'll make you mad. But um, <laughs> we split the rent evenly. She wasn't playing. Um, and, and after that, I, you know, there are, 
women that I've either looked up to a di from a distance or and now have personal relationships or whatever that have influenced me greatly, like Lena Waithe, like Patrice Cullors, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Ava DuVernay. Um, you know, there's so many that are that are creating change right now. Angela Davis, um, that are prolific and and these women are leading the charge in what um, what. The, the type of world that we should be seeing, that we should, that we want to see and that we should be creating and participating in creating. And many of them are queer black women. Um, a lot of them are black women that, you know, are allies to that, to, to all forms of people. Even right now, India Moore, y'all seen Pose? Yeah. India, yeah, yeah, listen, she that she whole killing. cast, but India specifically, and this other uh, Ashley that I know, like, they are, if you, follow her, you follow, follow her. India Moore. She'll teach you some things. India oh, Moore, I-N-D-Y-A, Moore, M-O-O-R-E. Yeah. Um, help me out. Uh, she's she's a, a, a really dope activist and, and an ally to many movements, and she is, she's, she should be in leadership somewhere, in my opinion. And Ilhan Omar, who was here yesterday, she's dope. She's dope, too. Anyway, let me shut up. <laughs> So to wrap up, I want to ask this last question that we ask all of our guests on Tell Black Stories podcast, and that is, what is the one story that you haven't seen that you would like to be told on the big screen? About our community, about people that look like us. Like, what story hasn't been told? You know, I need to be retold. I don't know. I think, I think there's so many stories that have been told, mm -hmm. I like to hear them from a black perspective, like in totality, like black director, black writer, because I think it's a, there's so many stories that have been out there that, I, you know, like, <sighs> I don't wanna say the, say the movies, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, Detroit, you know, I think there's, the, the, that if you've ever, ever seen that movie, I think great movie, but, there's so much more that could have been told, um, that should have been told, that should have been shared. I don't want to go any further. Word. I think like one story. This ceiling like, is really dope. It is. This like, ceiling yeah. is really dope. Yeah. I really appreciate it. what you did it. with the place. Look. What's the story that you think hasn't been told? It needs to be retold about our community. You know, I'm writing some, so I'm like, should I be talking about this? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, huh? Yeah, I think there's so many. I think there's literally so many. Like, we have, there's not ever going to be, I know, that, you know, I talk about white people a lot because right now I'm just like, <laughs> but, um, but I get a lot of, I'm, I'm not kidding, I get a lot of white people texting me and sitting down to lunch with me or whatever and talking about how, well, you're, you're, you know, diversity is trending now. I can't get a job kind of thing. And like, ha, 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 just kidding. No, you're not. Why did you bring it up? You know, and, and I've heard like the plight of the straight white male right now of like, oh, we can't get a job and all this kind of stuff. But here's the thing. I don't care if you don't, if you can't get a job right now. Do you know how many years I existed in LA? not being able to be, play nothing because they were like, nah, there's no spectrum of anything within, the, black people are one thing and we, we will address that when we need to. 
to fulfill a certain demographic or whatever. They're not, there are not enough black stories that can be told to make up for all of the years yeah. of, of, of absence of our, of our experiences and native stories. Many, so many native stories that, that do not exist back in the day or as them struggling or whatever. Like, allow us, the indigenous and black and brown people to thrive and just exist. Can we just have stories of us existing that don't have to deal, like, with us being black? You know, just be, just us being. You know, that's what I love about Insecure. It's, it's, it's a love, it's, I have a love for Insecure because <laughs> they paid me. But, um, <laughs> but, but I also was like, that it's literally black women existing, you know? And it doesn't have to, while it, it, it's beautiful to uplift black culture in that, in that narrative, it's also just them existing and loving and, and being, like we need so many nuanced stories to make up for all of them white stories that people like, oh, she, she, she made it, it's not even she invented the broom. Like we have to do it, we have to invent something or be the first to, you know, in order to earn the, the right to have that story be told. White people can literally be like, well, I twisted this broom. I, you know, I, I've made a, an addition to the VCR. And then they'll tell a story about that. Yeah. Or like literally them just living their daily life and then the movie ends, yeah. you know? So I wanna see, you know, something about, and, and I also wanna see specifically uh, leaders in, this, in, in the current movement, how it affects their mental health and how, it, it, just to push the narrative and how we should be investing in our leaders and protecting our leaders that are moving the culture forward. Because a lot of the time they feel siloed and they feel alone and people do not come to their aid. And, and it is hard to build community when everybody's afraid to speak out about a certain issue and you're that one. You know, and there's so many people when they don't have a platform like I do who are doing that work who are murdered, who are, look at the activists from Ferguson, look at activists here in, in Louisiana, uh, murdered, mysteriously, disappeared, or have mental breakdowns, or, and that is not uh, unintentional. It is very, very intentional to inject poor mental health into our communities and to make sure that we, they set examples of leaders to say, oh, if you really want to stand up, that's what's going to happen to you. And if we build community around that and really build people power the way that we should understand it and the way that we should be doing, then they can't do that to everybody. So I want to see those stories. Yeah, absolutely. I think about um, hopefully someone brings it to the big screen, but Black Wall Street, right, as a member of the buy back the block community. <laughs> you know, I want to see, you know, how was this community thriving before they essentially burned it to the ground, right? <laughs> so that's definitely one story that I want to see on the big screen. Anyone else? Yeah, I think, and uh, thinking about this space, like the whole idea was to try to, we do tons of school tours in here and it's a lot of the pieces are around telling black stories and trying to get these young people, activate their imagination and say, who's that? And hopefully they'll do the research and, so with that in mind, I would say a story about Fannie Lou Hamer. Like if there was a film about her, that would be, or, or, or a film about Chairman Fred Hampton. You know what I mean? Like the, these, these leaders that were like, well, Chairman Fred was 
young. Fannie Lou Hamer started when she was a little bit older and just showing that, that, that leadership and that true sacrifice. I think those are the stories that, unfortunately, had they been white, would have been retold so many times. There would have been the comedy, there would have been the series, there would have been the documentary, because there's such great, profound individuals that existed in moments that, I don't, they were superheroes, you know what I mean? And, and there's a long list of that. I mean, there's paintings on the wall that reflect some of those, so I would love to see that. Well, mine is basic. I just want to see more curvy girls being the lead role. Lizzo is wonderful, beautiful lady, but we have so, we've already had so many curvy women that need to be seen as well. We need to see that on film. There's ne I've never seen the lead. Yeah. The lead role, she's always the side person. And if she's sexy, let's see her naked, insecure. Right. Let's see her too, yeah. get along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I we hot. I want to see that. I agree. You know what I mean? I'm being honest. I want to see that. That's the mind's very, see, shallow. I'm just shallow. I'm with, I'm with you. I want to see it too. <laughs> yes, and I'm here for Disney, you know, making white folks real mad right now. You know? Oh, yeah. Shouts out to Disney for that. That's Come nice. Come on, Disney. <laughs> okay, yeah. so can we first give a round of applause to our panelists today? This has been a great conversation. I want to thank not only Color Change, I know they're out here thank in the you, audience. Color Change. Change. Be Mike, Studio you, B, Mike. for having us today. Be and Mike. our sponsor, again, the Open Society Foundations. And so everyone, again, you have a platform and the power to push the community forward. So to help us shape the future of black communities in 2020 and beyond, I want you all to text POWER, P-O-W-E-R, to 22568. Let me repeat that. So text POWER to 225568. Thank you again for having us. Thank you all for being here. And let's keep it going. Yeah.